Hello and welcome to another edition of St. Pete's on Repeat, the online sermon archive of St. Peter Lutheran Church in St. Albert, Alberta, Canada. The sermon was preached on January 9th, 2022, for the second Sunday in Epiphany. It's also known as the Festival of the Baptism of Our Lord, and it's based on our second lesson for that day, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is the word of our Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Baptism is a pretty big deal around here. You literally have to walk around a 3,000-pound baptismal font just to get in the door. Today is Baptism Sunday. It's the day that we remember Jesus' baptism and celebrate our own. We baptized two children this morning and invited 20 people to put a stone with their name on it at the base of our baptismal font. Baptism is a pretty big deal around here. But not because of the traditions we've developed or the architecture we've designed. Baptism is a big deal because of the three words that the Apostle Paul wrote to his friend Titus. Writing specifically about baptism, Paul says, He saved us. They're just three words, but they mean so much. They're just three words but they prompt me to ask six questions. Who, what, whom, why, how, and so what? Let's take them one at a time. He saved us, Paul says. Who is that? Well, it's God, of course. But Paul gets more specific than that. He calls him God our Savior. He refers to the role of the Holy Spirit in this washing of rebirth and renewal, who, by the way, was given to you by Jesus Christ our Savior. So who saved us? Really, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three persons of the triune God at work for one purpose. It's the same triune God whose name we've heard half a dozen times already today in worship. We began our service in his name. We recalled Jesus' great commission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we fulfilled it twice today. We hear that name at the end of our prayers, and then the blessing that will close our service this morning. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's the one who saves us. Of course, that answers the second question. What? What does he do? Paul says he saved us. I'm not going to spend too much time on this right now because we'll come back to it more later. But save is a pretty strong word. Conjures up images of firefighters and lifeguards, police officers rescuing people from car accidents, burning buildings and drowning. Salvation is about rescue and deliverance. Salvation implies the presence of danger, that that there's a serious, often life-threatening problem. Well, that's what our triune God does. He saves. 
He rescues, delivers from danger, from a life-threatening problem, but he's not out there saving damsels in distress like some fairy tale. Paul tells us whom he is saving. He saved us. You know, that's a pretty strong word too. In other parts of the Bible, we hear Jesus say, God so loved the world. In other letters that Paul wrote, he makes it clear that believers are the ones who can count on God's rescue. But here, Paul puts a finer point on it. He says, God saved us. God saved you personally. He saved me individually. We are not lost in the countless billions of believers who have ever been born. We are not some nameless, faceless numbers in a vast sea of souls who have ever seen the light of day. No, God knows you personally, and he saved you personally. Who, what, whom? You can't get a whole lot simpler than that in a three-word sentence. God saved you. But now for the meteor questions the more meaningful and significant, specific ones. I said before that save implies danger, serious, often life-threatening problems. Well, that's why God saved you. You were in danger. Maybe not in danger of drowning, decapitation, or dismemberment, but you were in danger of something far worse. Eternal damnation. We don't often like to talk about it. We don't even like to think about it. We even often deceive ourselves into believing our own illusions of innocence. Take my son, for instance. My baby is going to turn a year old later this month. There are days that his mother and I look at him and see the cutest, most precious, perfect little child. It's embarrassing, really, how much we love him, how much we think of him. You can't possibly tell me that that cute, precious, perfect little baby is in danger of damnation, that that God would ever send a child like that to hell. Puts a lump in my throat even to say it out loud. But then you've got those days when he just doesn't stop whining from the time he wakes up at 5 a.m. until he begrudgingly falls asleep at 9 p.m. You see how incredibly skilled he is at identifying the one thing he's not supposed to have or do, and despite all our best efforts, two full-grown human adults, he still finds a way to do it. He's certainly capable of love and kindness and cuteness. I'm confident of that. I've seen it. But he's also more than capable of selfishness and greed and envy, of anger and disobedience and even spite. Of course, that's my child. Everything he is and does comes from me and his mother. For better or worse, he's a product of who we are. And I know that I'm more than capable of selfishness, greed, and envy, anger, disobedience, and spite, and a whole lot more than that. I know where he gets it. He gets it from me. Just like we get it from, got it from our parents and, and they got it from theirs. In the church, we call it our sinful nature. It's literally the condition of our hearts at birth. We inherit it like anything else. Eye color, hair color, height, weight, sense of humor. So that even if you try really hard to be a good person and do good things all your life, you're fighting against yourself, your own nature, if, which, if you're honest, you haven't always been able to resist. 
we can create this illusion of innocence about our children, about ourselves. But in the end, that's even more dangerous than the sins we commit. Because it rejects the idea that any of us would need to be saved. But that's what God did. He saved us. There was a real problem, a deadly danger. God saved us from ourselves, from our sins, from the condition of our hearts since birth that would have damned us to hell forever had it not been for his kindness and love. Really, that's the, the real answer to the question, why? Why did God save us? Because we needed to be saved, sure, but much more than that, because he loves us. And not because we're so lovable, it's just the character of our creator. Paul uses four words to describe him here. Kindness, love, mercy, grace. Every one of those words describes God's undeserved, his unconditional love for you. See, God isn't stuck with you. God doesn't owe us anything. We're not nearly as cute as we like to imagine ourselves or so irresistible that he just can't help but love us. We're the exact opposite. We've done everything to disqualify ourselves from his love. We've been selfish, greedy, envious. We've been angry, disobedient, spiteful, and the list goes on. But he has been merciful and gracious. And the miracle of his mercy is that he loves us even though we are unlovable. Even though we've done everything to push him away, he loves us enough to save us, even though we weren't worth saving. That's what makes it grace. That's what makes him our savior. Salvation is a gift he gives purely out of the goodness of his own heart, just because he wants to. And this is the point that I really want you to take home today. You know, Jesus said, God so loves the world. God makes this grand universal promise of salvation through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for, for everyone who believes. But he applies that to you personally, individually. How? Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, by baptism. Baptism is the way that you can know that everything God promises to the world, he gives to you personally. Baptism is the way that God applies the salvation that Jesus accomplished for the world on a cross 2,000 years ago to you on a specific date and time that you can write down on a baptismal certificate or we can etch in stone for you to see and remember every time you walk in these doors. Baptism is the way God adopts you into his family by putting his name on you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that you can have the confidence of knowing that, that you are God's own child. And, and more than that, that you are an heir of heaven, having the hope of eternal life in his name. That's our last question for today. So what? For what purpose did God save you? So that you can have hope. And not some vague sense of optimism or wishful thinking about the future. No, when God talks about hope, it's a certain confidence. In baptism, God gives you the certain confidence that eternal life is yours. Of course, when we first hear about eternal life, we often fast forward to the end, to life in heaven, but, but that's the beauty of baptism. In baptism, God starts your eternal stopwatch now. 
you know, I was baptized 34 years ago. I've committed a lot of sins since then. I've committed a lot of sins in the last three to four days. But because of my baptism, I don't have to despair or fear that my salvation is in jeopardy. God saved me. Those baptismal waters still cover me in God's grace and mercy. There is no sin I could commit so grievous that God's grace cannot or has not forgiven. So when I'm plagued by guilt and regret for the sins that I committed ages ago, or the ones more recent, I can look at the baptismal certificate I, I keep on my desk, and I can thank God that on the third day of May in 1987, my God applied my Savior's salvation to me personally and eternally. You can do that too. Dig out your baptismal certificate from the file cabinet it's been hiding in for years. Frame it. Put it somewhere you'll see it every day. Don't have one? That's okay. There are all kinds of ways to remember what God did for you when you were baptized. Luther was a big proponent for making the sign of the cross on yourself every morning when you pray. Because as you heard me say earlier today, when you were baptized, the pastor said this to you. Receive the sign of the cross on your head and on your heart to mark you as a redeemed child of Christ. Making the sign of the cross isn't some slavish way to pray according to the rules. It's, it's a reminder of what God did for you the day you were baptized. God saved you because he loves you and because he wants you to live in his grace all the days of your life and into the eternal life you will share with him as heirs of heaven, God's own dear children. And one of the ways he makes that yours is in baptism, the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. May God strengthen you to live in your baptismal grace all the days of your life. Peace be with you. Amen.